Jesus said, what? There's a number of passages in the Bible that you look at and you think, what is Jesus talking about there? What was he meaning? Now, the natural way of looking at any of those passages is we look at them and go, do you know what? That's a little bit too hard. It's a little bit too confusing. So a natural way of looking at it is we will ignore what is difficult, ignore what is maybe confusing to us, and we will just focus upon the things that are easy to understand. But we believe that the entire Bible is God's inspired word for us. And therefore, we delve into it and we study it out. We look at the context. We look at other supporting scriptures. We begin to look at what's called parallel passages. We compare scripture with scripture. And from that, we come to an understanding of what Jesus was talking about. Now, over the course of the last several weeks, we've been building upon various statements. And today is a statement that is actually going to come across really negative. But I want to encourage you. If you delve into this teaching today, this is actually going to be some of the most encouraging and helpful, as in burden-lifting teaching you're going to hear for a long time. Now, I'm, I don't say every, that every Sunday. In other words, today's the day. But this is going to be encouraging because Jesus essentially says, I'm going to be sick. And in Re Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 16, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. And if you look at various Bible versions, and actually that word spit out literally means, and here's something for you teenage boys, it means vomit. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And you read that, you go, what is Jesus talking about there? And how can we in any way find encouragement through a statement like Jesus says he's going to vomit us out? So maybe you are finding yourself that you are getting into the routine of the Christian life. And I'm not in any way making fun of people because I know you like your routine and you like your particular seats that you sit in. But we can naturally come into church and we know when to sit down. We know when to stand up. We know who to shake hands with. We know, in a sense, which people to avoid and which people we want to talk to. We can go through the motions of church and we have the understanding as, as long as I look okay on the outside, then I must be okay on the inside. And Jesus comes along and says, do you know what? That sort of mediocrity, that stuck in a rut Christianity, doesn't just annoy me. It doesn't just make me feel, oh, that's too bad. He says, it makes me sick. It makes me want to vomit. And I told you this is an encouraging message because you don't have to remain in that rut. And maybe you're self-evaluating yourself right now and going, do you know what? I kind of find myself in that rut going through the emotions of church. My prayer life is empty. My Bible reading is non-existent. My giving is begrudging. My service is tiring. You're stuck in that rut, and Jesus agrees that you need to get out of it. So therefore, how do we do that? And we're going to build upon what, we, what Pastor Larry preached last week when he preached about, I'm coming back from John chapter number 14, verse number 3 that says, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. From that, he builds and he begins to talk about the coming 
of Jesus Christ, known as the rapture of the church. There's a number of passages that describe that. First Thessalonians talks about it, that it will be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And it talks about the dead in Christ rising and, and excitement and the anticipation of what's going to happen next. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is teaching his disciples and encouraging them. And he gives them some understanding. In Matthew 24, it says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken and one left. And this is Jesus talking. Therefore, stay awake. And maybe if you're falling asleep already in the message, stay awake. And it goes on and it says, For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. That you do not know. And rather than going, well, we don't know, then don't worry. We'll just get into the routine. We'll get into the rut. We'll go through the motions of church. And someday Jesus is coming back. Woo this is a different sort of anticipation. This is, we better be ready. We better get going. And we better, in a positive way, get out of the rut and stop making Jesus vomit. Our principle for today is this. And every Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And it is this. Jesus loves me. That's easy. That rolls off our tongue. All of us know that. And invites me to live for him every day. So what we're going to do is we're going to explain a little bit about the book of Revelation for just a few moments. And believe me, we're just going to scratch the surface today and talking about what's taking place in the first three chapters, especially chapter two and chapter three. And then we're going to focus upon this church called the Church of Laodicea, which is in chapter number three, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. Give you a little bit of background. The book of Revelation is given to the apostle John as an elderly man, as he's an exile on the island of Patmos, and Jesus comes to him and gives him a vision. It says in Revelation chapter number 1, verses 1 and 3, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must take place. Then it goes on in verse number 3 and gives us a blessing for reading this. And it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written for it. And here's the key behind that, the anticipation. For the time is near. We have something to look forward to. So maybe you're finding yourself stuck in that routine, and you're going through the motions of church, you're going through the motions of the Christian life, and you've been comparing yourself to others, and you know what, compared to other people, you're pretty good. And that's not the standard. So as it moves on from that, Jesus gives through the Apostle John this vision of, of the book of Revelation, which is a worthy study. And it's not just a study that you're going to do in five minutes. It's a study you're going to munch on and chew on and study and cross-reference through. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, you have some direct messages to real churches that were living in the first century. And these churches correspond to a lot of what we see in the church today. And some of the churches, in fact, there's a map on the screen that will show you some of the seven churches, seven dots, and they're found in modern-day Turkey today. And believe me, I'm going to give you a, a 
a dissatisfying explanation of them today because we're just scratching the surface. If you have your bulletin, in your bulletin I have the explanation of these various churches and what was, they were known for. We have the church that's in Ephesus and the church of Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And in these churches, Jesus said some good things about some of them and, some, and he gave counsel to all of them. And what we're looking at in this church of Laodicea, which is the last church on the list, he actually has nothing positive to say. And we're going to talk a little bit about the history and the background of this, of this location of, of Laodicea. And then from that, we're going to really the goal is to make some application for our life. So just as we think through that and you begin to mull that over, let's, let's begin reading in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 20, and then we'll make some application. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen. Here Jesus describes himself as the Amen, literally saying, I am the truth. And it goes on, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And it goes on in verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a phrase we're focusing upon and making some application from today. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so you may, be, may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. And just a quick reading of that, you read that and go, okay, Jesus sounds like he's really annoyed and angry at these people. But the motivation behind this is absolutely the opposite. When you love someone and you know something better for their life and you know they're going down the wrong path, Jesus says, I want you to know there's a better way of living. You don't have to go that way that just makes me sick. So every person here today can grow out of the spiritual rut and the mediocrity of, of the daily life by following this three C's. And the three C's are charge, counsel, and call. And I'm going to be asking you a question throughout the three points today. And the, the question is, how is your conscience? Another way of saying that would be, what's God telling you right now? What's the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit shouting in your ear right this moment? Is he convicting you to stop doing something or convicting you or challenging you to start doing something? What is God calling you to do in your life at this time? So we're going to be reflecting upon it every step of the way. So let's begin. First of all, the charge. Now, as a parent of three fantastic children, 
many of you are parents as well. And as you look at your children, you know your kids. And if you ever had to confront your child with something to correct them, you tell them, I know you. And they may come up with some really good excuses. But mom, but dad, and they, you, they come up with really good excuses, but you tell them, I know you. In fact, I've known you before you were even born. I know all about you. In a very real way, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I know who you are. I've known you and loved you and cared for you before the creation of the world. So therefore, listen to me. And he says in that passage, verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. And it goes on in verse 15. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus uses some really practical illustrations here that would have been understood by this, the people in the city of Laodicea. Laodicea, as far as the location, of course, is in modern-day Turkey, but in the surrounding areas, about 10 kilometers to the east, is a city, and there's a picture on the screen of a town or a city called Heropolis. Now, Heropolis was known for having hot springs, and so they had uh, volcanic workings, and the hot springs came up. And if you look in the back of that picture, in the very distance in the back of that picture, you see some mountains. And about 15 kilometers to the other direction, to the southeast, is the city of Colossae. And the city of Colossae was built right near those mountains. So in that area, on the one side you have hot springs, and the other side you have the, the source of a cool, cold river that comes from the mountains and comes from the snow. And they're stuck right in the middle. So this is something that people would have understood. They understood there's hot, there's cold, and they're right in the middle. Also, Laodicea was a very wealthy Roman province. And in that area around them, they were known for the manufacture of an ISAV. And this ISAV, they would produce the material there and put it together. And that, that ISAV, apparently, was shipped across the known world at the time. And it, it originated right there. And also, it was known for having a sheep that were black sheep that had a very shiny, silky wool. So they had clothes, they had isab, they had wealth. And so Jesus was using some real practical illustrations for these people that they would have understood. We begin to see that Jesus is basically saying there, I know your works. Jesus knows who you think you are. He knows who you think you are. I said that correctly. And it says in verse 17, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I have need of nothing. That right there is who often we think we are. We compare ourselves to other people. And we say, I am rich. I am spiritually rich. I am spiritually prospering. I am spiritually in need of nothing. And when I do, God, then I will pray to you. And then I'll come to you. And if it's someone who's really sick or the bills really pile up one day, then I'll come to you in prayer. But in the meantime, I'm fine. 
and we can continue to go through the motions of life. And Jesus says, I know who you think you are. That describes, and we can see that in our world today, an apathy to the things that are spiritual and the things of God because we have it so good. But we're not the first people to have that. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus again is teaching his disciples about the end times and he uses the description of the days of Noah. This was referred to last week. And the days of Noah, we can see a similarity with our modern days today. And it says in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So there's a sense of anticipation. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The saddest phrase in verse number 17 of Revelation 3 is the phrase that says, not realizing. You say you're rich, you're prosperous, you need nothing. And the next thing it says is, but you don't know what you don't know. And that's where we often find ourselves. And I say we because we all have the natural tendency to not know what we don't know. But that goes on and we learn that Jesus knows who you really are. Not who you think you are, but who you really are. And that's the second point. As in verse 17 goes on, it says, Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, that talks about the last days. In the last days, people will not know what they don't know. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul teaches this. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, You hear that one, parents? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And verse 5 says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, and it gives the warning, avoid such people. Those are the things of the last days. So we've seen that in the last days will be like the days of Noah, where people are going through the motions of life and building and giving a marriage, and they're moving on and not knowing what the future is going to hold. And it also teaches, the Apostle Paul teaches, that we have the appearance of godliness, but not real godliness. So as we begin this charge that given by Jesus, if we just finished right there, This would be a really negative message. But Jesus doesn't finish there. He doesn't finish with just the charge. But I want to give you an opportunity to consider that question. How is your conscience? If Jesus was to stand before you today and ask you, I know you. I know who you think you are. I know you think that you have it all together. 
but do you really? I know that you think that you're wealthy spiritually and maybe even physically, but are you really spiritually wealthy? Because something I'm discovering is the more I get into God's word, the less I know, and the more that I need to dive in deeper. And the more that I pray, the more hungry I get to pray. And the more that I serve, the more that I see opportunities to serve. And I don't sit back and go, I've got it all together. I'm discovering that I can sit back on my rut and my mediocrity. But how's your conscience? What's God prompting you with? Thank God that doesn't finish there with that teaching. He just says, I know you, you're wretched and pitiable and, and blind and naked. He goes on from that and he gives us some counsel. And he begins in verse number 18 and he gives us some instructions. Some instructions for life. He gives us some real godly advice of how we're going to... So therefore, he gives us a charge... And then he says, now here's how you're going to live life differently. Here's what begins with the positive. The positive here is he's offering us that you can get out of the rut and the mediocrity of the spiritual life. And it says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself with, and, sh- and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus, in a very real way, and not like a guy on TV saying, but there's more, but in a wonderful way is saying, buy from me. You've been trying to buy from the world on the outside. Now, let's come into my shop and see what I'm going to sell you in, in a wonderful way. He says that, first of all, buy gold. Now, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. I'm not giving you financial advice today. No, buy gold. What we see here is he says, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. We have a new definition of what real value is. What is real spiritual richness? Naturally, we think spiritual richness is, or spiritual wealth is, as long as I am better than the person next to me. Now, Awkwardly look at the person next to you, are you? And you think to yourself, as long as I'm more spiritual and I sing louder and I dress nicer and I give more than that person, then I must be okay. And if you're sitting next to your sister right now or your brother right now, it's, <laughs> it's okay. That's who we naturally, but that's not who we're to compare ourselves with. He says there, buy for me gold that's been hurt that's been burned, it's been purified, refined by fire, gives the understanding that it's gone through some trials, it's gone through some tribulation, and it's come out more pure, not more conceited. And it's not more self-righteous, it's more pure in, in in its outlook. Because we are naturally, and I say we, are naturally spiritually poor, and we don't even know it. And that's the charge. And he says, in order to combat this, we need to understand what real value is. What's really going to last for eternity? I like my house. I like my car. I like my stuff. But in the grand scheme of eternity, they are useless and worthless because the Bible describes those sort of things as wood, hay, and stubble, and they're going to be gone. They're going to burn up and be gone one day. The, your brand new car, which you love and you're polishing all the time and you won't let anyone eat in it or anything and keep it perfectly clean, one day will go to the scrap heap and be thrown away. 
So Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not mankind's righteousness, but His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So if a counsel, first of all, is to buy gold. Secondly, he says, buy clothes from me. Jesus sells clothes. And he says, buy from me white garments so that you may, be, may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. You see, spiritually speaking, oftentimes we are spiritually naked and totally exposed and don't even know it. A number of years ago, I had a dream, and I'm, I'm being very transparent here, okay? <laughs> this is not a particularly spiritual dream. Have you ever had the dream that you showed up somewhere naked? And it's a horrible dream. And I remember as a child having a dream where I showed up to church naked, and everyone looked at me totally normal. Like, no one noticed that I was naked, but I knew I was naked, and it was really embarrassing the whole time. And I remember hiding around corners, and it was a weird dream, and I've remembered it to this day. I don't remember all my dreams, but I remember the weird ones. When you know that something isn't right, you kind of want to take care of it. But the ignorant part here is, when you don't even know how vulnerable you are, you don't know how exposed you are, or spiritually empty you are to the truth, one of the saddest passages in the Bible is when Jesus is in his trial right before he goes to the cross. And he's brought before a number of people along the journey before he goes to the cross. But one of the men is a man named Pilate who had the authority to release Jesus or to condemn him to death. And Pilate is talking to Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter number 18, Verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And here's why Jesus came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And you imagine standing, or standing before Jesus and Jesus saying, if you want to know truth, listen to me. And we all lean forward and say, what is the truth, Jesus? But Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? And the pastor continues on that he turned and went away. You imagine standing before Jesus and Jesus saying, I am the truth. And we being so empty and not even knowing it, or spiritually naked and not even knowing it, that we turn away and go, what's truth? And move on. And that's where Jesus says, you need to buy clothes that are from me. Clothes that are going to fill you with what is true. It says the white garments, that you, that, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. It's a beautiful picture of the covering of Jesus Christ when he takes our filthiness and replaces it with the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of the new people we are. And rather than walking around saying, as long as I look okay, I must be okay, we say, I need the righteousness of God in my life. And then he goes on and he says, buy medicine. And he's literally saying, buy from me, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That is to be spiritually blind of truth and you don't even know it. I've been lost and it's a horrible feeling to be lost. 
But it's even worse when you find out that you were lost for a long, long time before you even knew it. And we you make plans because as a man, I'll just talk as a man right now. I mean, ladies, I don't know if you understand this, but asking for directions is really hard. And admitting that you're going the wrong direction is really difficult. And maybe you've driven in the car like I have, and, and you've driven in the car, and then you halfway along the journey realize, I'm going the wrong way. And there's no way for me to turn around without my wife noticing. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to get out of this without admitting that I am going the wrong direction. So we need to buy medicine, which is the third point. It says, buy from me, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We don't want to be spiritually blind. We want to see. We don't want to be like the people who are living in the, in the days of Noah who did not understand and did not see the times. We don't want to be like the people at the end times who don't know what is really going on in this world because we have a different motivation. John 8 verses 31 and 32 says, this is Jesus talking. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let me ask you that question again. The question is, how's your conscience? Are you buying the right stuff? Have you been, in a sense, to use the analogy, shopping in the correct store? Are you buying the gold of Jesus and the clothes of Jesus and the, the eyes salve of Jesus so that you will know truth and be able to live truth and know the love and forgiveness of, of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you the question, how's your conscience? And as we move on from that, we have the charge where Jesus says, I know. We have the counsel where he says, I'm instructing you. And then finally, we have the call. The call is the motivation behind this. And he says, I love. And he goes on in verse number 19. And he, and he makes some I statements. Verses 19 and 20, you're going to see some I statements through here. So I'll try to emphasize them as I read. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If you've ever seen the, the picture or uh, the drawing of Jesus knocking on a door, that's, this is that passage where this, this comes from. It comes from this passage right here where Jesus starts off with something seemingly really negative. He starts off with you and your actions, you make me want to vomit. Now that will get your attention. And if Jesus was standing before us today and giving us instruction of how to live this life and giving us wise counsel and he's charging us, we should be listening. And the joy behind this isn't that we have a God with a big stick that says, you're doing wrong, bang, go work it out for yourself and go get yourself right and go make yourself right. And when you're done, come back to me. That's not what we see at all with Jesus Christ. We see quite the opposite. He's coming and he's knocking on the door saying, I want you. I want you to get out of this rut of mediocrity. I want you to move forward. 
Maybe you're here today and you're yet to even take that first step of your Christian faith where you're yet to place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. Today can be that day. Even right now can be that moment. And that still small voice of the Holy Spirit says, you need Jesus. And he says there, those whom I love. We have an invitation, first of all, to use a biblical word called repent. It's an invitation to repent. Verse 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Maybe you have been in the shops one day and you've been walking along the shop and you have your shopping trolley there and you walk down a particular aisle and there's a screaming, I mean, bratty little kid down there. And he's screaming and pulling things off and you walk past and you have some empathy for the poor parent that's is there, and you, you go, hmm. But in the inside, you're going, I'm glad that's not my kid. Jesus here could look at us and going, you know what? I can see how you're messing up. I can see the things that you're doing. I can see how you're hurting yourself and hurting others. I see how you've disappointed me. And you know what you're doing? It actually makes me sick. I'm glad he's not one of mine, and he keeps moving on. That's not what we see here at all. He says, I reprove and I discipline, and he calls us to be zealous and repent. And the word zealous there means don't just sit back and go, well, tomorrow I'll handle this. This is a tomorrow job. There's lots of things on my list of things to do at home that are tomorrow jobs, and I've discovered that tomorrow never comes. If you delay what you need to do today, tomorrow will always be the next day. Tomorrow, I'll handle that. Tomorrow, I will turn back. Tomorrow, I'll repent. Tomorrow, I will, I will turn back to go. But he says that be zealous. In other words, don't delay. And he goes on, and he asks the question, basically. Well, that re- word repent means to change our mind. I was going one way. I found out I was going the wrong way. So I'm going to repent of that and turn around. And now I'm going to go the right way. He's calling us to make a change. If Jesus was talking to you today, and that's why I've been asking you about your conscience today. Has God been speaking to you in a particular area and every single one of you are unique and different? You have different backgrounds and different uh, gifts and abilities. You have different sins. You have different positives and negatives of your life. How's God prompting you right now? And if Jesus was coming before you and says, I love you, so therefore I'm going to reprove you and discipline you and I'm calling you to make a change or repent today, how would you respond to that? Or rather, how, would you, how should you respond to that? And he finishes with a wonderful invitation to receive. One of the most unhelpful things is when you give someone advice or give someone directions and you say, it's over there somewhere. The positive advice is, let me take you and show you. And Jesus is there knocking on the door of our hearts and saying, open up, I'm going to come in and I'm going to live this journey with you rather than you having to do this all by yourself. It says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Let me ask you the question, how is your conscience? What's God calling you to do and how is he calling you to respond? 
I said this was a really positive message because when you find out that you've been going the wrong way, knowing the right way and knowing that you don't have to do this by yourself because Jesus says, open the door and I'll come in and I'll walk this journey with you. You know how liberating that is? As a husband and as a father and as a pastor, all the various burdens of your life are on your shoulders and you're carrying these various things around and you're thinking, thank God that we don't have to do this by ourselves. So if you are stuck in the rut of mediocrity in your spiritual life, Jesus doesn't say, get yourself right and then come see me. He says, open the door and let's walk this journey together. Isn't that liberating? That's the good news of this message today. You don't have to do this by yourself. Let me ask you that question again. How is your conscience? 